What is up, ladies and gentle nerds? It is episode number 55 of the Overthinking MTG podcast, and this show is brought to you by stubbornness and the realization that a daily podcast might not have been a great idea, but I refuse to give up on it anyway, because I made a commitment, and here we are. Woo! All right, so I'm going to go ahead and click on everybody's favorite button, the random card button over on gatherer.wizards.com, the official uh, get Magic the Gathering card database of Wizards of the Coast. And, uh, okay, today we are looking at Enchanted Prairie. So this actually is an interesting one. This is a playtest card, so much like the, um, it was a form of the Muldrifter that we looked looked at a couple episodes back. Uh, this is one that is not legal. It was available in the Mystery Booster, which is a product that came out, uh, well, it came out in conventions for draft purposes last year and if i'm not mistaken it's going to be hitting shelves here in a in i want to say a month or two i believe it's going to be dropping in may of uh, 2020 i could be wrong on that though um i i'm not super up on all the release dates but it's coming soon to historian you and the enchanted prairie and all the other playtest cards in those mystery boosters were only available in the convention edition and interestingly enough i recently found out that when you actually drafted in those conventions the playtest cards were legal so the draft environments did have things like uh the unicycle or the barrier with sets mechanics sliv mizzet and uh former the muldrifter and whatnot also time sidewalk which is one that i got to admit kind of blew my mind like i can't believe that thing exists um but that's not what we're here to talk about today the, the thing about time sidewalk is it's basically like if uh time walk the one of the power nine it costs two take an extra turn after this one that card is redonkulous and with time sidewalk it's like it costs like nine and you get to take an extra turn but if it's in your opening hand you can exile from the game and shuffle in four copies of time walk into your library which is bananas like it may it's so dumb um which is it's great uh, obviously, and that's why it's never going to see the the light of day on a black border release. So, Enchanted Prairie is uh, is a land that we're looking at, and uh, it's interesting because it is an enchantment land, uh, and it enters the battlefield tapped, and it can tap for one white, one blue. So, there are a couple of things I noticed about this card. Uh, one, I really appreciate the fact that it's a playtest card. So. I love the fact that enchantment lands do not exist. It would seem as though they learned their lesson from the artifact lands. If you're not familiar, the artifact lands was a it was a cycle of lands that came out in Mirrodin, and I bring them up a lot because they're just kind of mind blowing. Because on the surface, it looks fairly innocuous. You know, I'm going to take a land and I'm just going to add a little extra something. And the very first time that I remember hearing that artifact lands were going to be a thing in Mirrodin, the thing about it is. My very first thought is, oh, so I can use Artifact Destruction to blow up your lands. Like, that sounds pretty bad, actually. The idea that Artifact Hate can target lands, that means that your lands, which, aside from a couple of, you know, specific, usually fairly expensive effects, all of a sudden, being able to target them with Artifact Removal makes destroying them significantly cheaper. So all of a sudden, I can I can disenchant your mana base. Like, that's rough. Or I can hit it with something like a Shattering Spree. Like, oh, okay. Well, the reality is, running anti-artifact 
stuff. And it, the the artifact hosers that existed in the Mirrodin block were nowhere near as good as the artifacts themselves. And so what you ended up with was nobody really ran anti-artifact stuff. Everybody just ran pro-artifact stuff. And because even the lands were artifacts, everything just got so fast. It was just so good and so fast that it was absolutely redonkulous. So the fact that they just came out with a set that takes place in Theros, where the enchantments function a whole lot like the artifacts function on Mirrodin, the idea of making your lands enchantments too, the idea that your land drop could kick off a bunch of constellation triggers, that's insane. And apparently they know that. And they didn't, you know, the idea that your lands would be open to enchantment removal, okay, that's a thing. And removal's gotten a lot better. However, there's another philosophy that seems to have taken over when it comes to spot removal as far as R&D's philosophy and that is they they do a lot where you're interacting with quote non-land permanence and so when you're dealing with a non-land permanent it doesn't matter if that non it doesn't matter if a permanent is an enchantment or is an artifact if it is also a land it doesn't qualify as a non-land permanent. So anything that touches non-land permanence cannot touch a land that has any other stuff on it. So the fact that these lands count as enchantments, anything that counts towards enchantments, if you have, um, I know there's a, there's a giant with affinity for enchantments that came out in Theros, which is kind of fun. It's not particularly great, but it's interesting. Um, you know, you have constellation triggers, you have all that stuff. You also have, uh, spells that interact specifically with enchantments, um, ones that allow you to sacrifice enchantments in order to get effects. Well, being able to sacrifice a 7th or 8th land late in the game that you don't need to fuel one of those, that's pretty great. Yeah, the the synergy, the combo potential here exists. And so it's funny because on its surface, this is just an Azorius Guildgate. It's a dual land, taps for one white, taps for one blue, and it comes into play tapped. Like, it behaves just like a Guildgate. It's nothing fancy. <clears throat> I mean, it doesn't have the gate subtype. But it just it's, it's just a really basic dual land, except the fact that it has that super type enchantment means that it will never see the light of day. And I feel like them putting that in the Mystery Booster product as a playtest card is their way of showing, yeah, guys, we know how incredibly busted this can be. And it feels like a joke. I mean, it does. It feels like a joke for people who are in on it. You know, this is very much, you know, it's funny when you, when you look at some of those booster products and you see something like time sidewalk, it's like, okay, that's ridiculous. You see something like unicycle, it's an equipment and a vehicle, you know, it's just kind of funny. And I think there's one that's like, three kids in a suit or something like that where the, the joke is very overt it's very in your face you look at it and it, it has kind of that slapsticky ha-ha kind of action to it um you know you also have puns like sliv mizzet it's like all oh, slivers niv mizzet ha-ha you put those two together you get the most busted thing ever ever created um but with enchanted prairie it's one of those where you look at it and a lot of people if you're new to the game you'd probably look at that and just go like oh Okay, but if you were around for the enchantment lands and you saw how incredible, sorry, when, if you were around for the artifact lands and you saw how incredibly busted those were, you'd look at this and just go, whoa. You know, like it's not mind blowing. And I, I, I can't think of like any combos right off the top of my head where this would be incredibly broken. It just is a way of getting an exceptional amount of value in the right 
deck. You know, in the right decks, it can just produce some insane effects. I dig that. Like, it's 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 fun, you know, and so I like the fact that the joke is for people who have been around, who have been invested in this game for a while. Um, it, it, it feels very much like the R&D team at Wizards make, you know, making a self-referential kind of dig, you know, they're kind of making a, making a joke at their own expense, you know, like, hey, can you believe that we thought this was okay once? <laughs> I know, right? And I appreciate that. It shows a level of, um, I, I can appreciate the idea that anybody is willing to not take themselves so seriously. And this feels very much like they're enjoying, they're, they're enjoying a good laugh. Uh, at their past. And I can appreciate that. So the thing is, with the the artifact lands, one of the other things that made them so incredibly busted was they did not come into play tapped. They were just, they, they came into play untapped just like any other land. So, you know, the Vault of Whispers is the black one. And there's almost no reason to, I mean, it, practically speaking, there's almost no reason to not run four Vault of Whispers in place of four of your swamps. Like, there are some interactions, there are some, some situations where, you know, you would prefer the swamp, but by and large, there's no significant downside. It's very similar to Snowlands, you know, the Snow Basics. Um, the flip side of that is those are still considered basic lands, whereas the Artifact Lands were not. And now that I'm thinking about it, actually, the Artifact Lands themselves all depicted a specific location. One of the things that I found really funny when Throne of Eldraine launched was all of the castles... Um, were lands that came into play untapped that produced, assuming you had one land of the appropriate basic land type. You know, so Castle Vantress came into play untapped if you had an island. Uh, Castle Lockthwain came into play if, if you had a, or came into play untapped if you had a swamp. And then they all had an activated ability on there. So there was a minimal opportunity cost in running them. You know, especially if you're in one or two colors, like there's almost no reason not to have at least one in the deck because you never know. You might get a little bit of that upside and there's almost no downside. The artifact lands were in a similar space, and I'm realizing the other thing about the artifact lands that's really funny, one of the cool things about the castles is they're not legendary, despite the fact that they are very clearly depicting a specific location. It's a freaking castle. Like, it's a freaking castle with a name that is the capital of a kingdom on Eldraine. And that's not legendary. I just I find that funny. Now I know for gameplay reasons it make it would be a real bummer to have your mana base dependent on legendary lands. Like that would make them uh, not unplayable, but significantly less valuable. So I can appreciate from a gameplay perspective why they didn't do that. Just flavorfully, it kind of misses the mark. But now that I'm thinking back to the artifact lands, you had Seed of the Synod, you had the Vault of Whispers, um, you had. Was it the Great Tree? Or the tree? Uh, anyway, I, yeah, it was something like that. Um, oh, no, you had the Great Furnace was the was the red one. That's what I'm thinking of. Um, the Tree of Tales. That's the green one. So, but, which is funny, because now thinking about it, like, the Great Furnace, the Vault of Whispers, the Seat of the Synod. I mean, these are all clearly individual locations on Mirrodin, but they were also not legendary. So... I don't know. I find that kind of funny. You don't see a lot of uh, you don't see a lot of legendary lands in general because that's a real bad. It, it's real. 
feel bad moment when you miss a land drop because you have a second uh, legendary land in your hand. There are some out there, but not that many. Yeah, it's interesting. And so even when they're clearly depicting what should be legendary from a story perspective, they're still not legendary. So, I don't know, that's that's just kind of a fun aside. Um, apparently I have thoughts on land, who knew? It's funny, because if you were to ask me, I would say that the mana base is like my least favorite part of magic, you know, because it's, it's your homework. It's just the thing you gotta do in order to make everything else work, you know, in order to pass your test. Um, in order to go to the dance on Friday, you need to finish your homework during the week. You know, you, it's, I've heard likened to eating your vegetables. It's just what you gotta do. The mana base is not fun. It's not the big explosive spells, but you need it in order for the big explosive spells to work. Um, and in general, I find myself not really spending too much time on my mana bases, but at the same time, when I hit a land on Gatherer for this podcast, I seem to have an awful lot of thoughts about them. So, well, I guess that's just... Sh- it goes to show how important these are. They're just fundamental for the game. And it's also not surprising that I hit them so often on Gatherer because they are a large portion of the card pool that's out there. So it makes sense. But yeah, so this was Enchanted Prairie. It's kind of a fun playtest card. I dig it. The artwork is kind of a, a fun little sketch of a uh, what appears to be a sunset, and the sun is very clearly the white mana symbol. So that's kind of fun. And uh, it, it's clearly a hand-done sketch, but it was done by... Uh, by a pretty talented hand, actually. So it looks like a quick sketch done by a very accomplished artist. That's what it looks like. So I gotta say, I enjoyed it. So yeah, this was fun. This has been Enchanted Prairie. And uh, you guys have a wonderful day. Stay safe out there if you are listening to this um, in the same general time that I'm recording it. Um, Yeah, as I'm recording this, it is actually late March 2020. The COVID-19 pandemic is in full effect. And uh, Yeah, it's a scary time out there. So stay safe, wash your hands, don't touch your face, uh, stay inside, and take care of the people you love by staying as far away from them as you possibly can. All right, everybody, just be awesome, and I will catch you next time.